Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. Hey there, my name's Michael Laminato and this is Practice Day at the 2023 Las Vegas Grand Prix on Pit Pass F1. Pit Pass F1 is brought to you by Evergreen Podcasts. And on today's episode, Formula One's Vegas gamble comes to a crunching halt after just nine minutes of practice when a loose drain cover shreds Carlos Sainz's car in a frightening high-energy impact. FP1 was called off shortly afterwards, but with F1 determined to see out the day, the paddock hung around for more than five hours just to get FP2 started behind closed doors with fans sent home. Was it embarrassing for F1 to have had practice end at 4am in front of empty stands? Well, it rather depends on who you ask, and you get the sense that not everyone is sharing an objective view of the situation. To wrap up a very long-winded Thursday night and Friday morning in Las Vegas, let's hear now from your host, Luke Smith. Following 18 months of hype about seeing the cars venturing down the Las Vegas Strip under the lights for the very first time, it took just eight minutes for things to come to a clattering, staggering halt as a loose water valve cover frame turned the day on its head and it led to big questions about the operations around the Las Vegas Grand Prix. Hello and welcome back to Thursday's edition of Pit Pass F1. My name is Luke Smith, Senior Formula One writer for The Athletic, and I'm back with the latest recap of a really dramatic day of action at the Las Vegas Grand Prix. It was the first on-track running at F1's newest street circuit, and boy, did it deliver some big, big stories. As I said on yesterday's podcast, this is a race that F1 has spent a significant amount of money on, over half a billion dollars. And we always have this debate in the sport about the balance of show versus the actual sporting event on the track. Some of the drivers were uneasy yesterday about the balance of sports versus event. And I think the expectation was that the moment we actually got onto the circuit, it would all be about the sporting action. That would be the dominant storyline. But we didn't get the clean running that would have allowed that to really take over the narrative. Now, it was a concrete frame around a water valve cover that came up just eight minutes into the session on the strip. We saw Carlos Sainz's Ferrari take a big hit as they went over what looked like a bump, but was actually the water valve cover coming up. Science had to stop his car immediately and it forced the session to be red flagged. It turned out Science was not alone in having hit the loose cover. Esteban Ocon and Joe Guan Yu also had damage to their cars and a number of other teams also had to do precautionary checks on the underside of their cars. 10 minutes after the red flag was shown, race control took the decision not to resume the session as they needed to check all of the manhole covers to make sure there would be no repeat of the issue. Now, this is not a completely new thing for F1. We have seen this on street circuits in the past, particularly with this generation of F1 cars, the ground effect being so, so powerful. There's a lot of downforce that it generates, and that means it does suck things up when it moves over the circuit. It means that it's really important to get all of those manhole covers and water valve covers welded in really, really firmly. 
I think you'll recall in Baku in 2019, George Russell, his Williams went over a manhole cover that destroyed the underside of the car and red flagged the session. We've also seen it in Monaco, again, another track where you have these drain covers that do get sucked up. But for F1 in Vegas, of all places, it was a real twist. There'd been so much hype about this race, but now it had all come to a very, very abrupt halt. The FIA had to do checks on all of the water valve covers around the track, and there were 30 of them on the strip alone. Again, we do see this at other tracks, but it's such a big undertaking, and all of the eyes on the world were on this in Vegas. It was also a significant hit for Sainz to take in the car, and he said that his back did hurt a little bit after what happened, and it did do a big amount of damage to the Ferrari. Fred Vasseur, the team principal, said the contact happened at nearly 200 miles an hour, and that it had completely broken the engine, battery, and monocoque on the Ferrari SF23. He said there'd be no chance of Sainz getting out again for FP2. The FIA press conference host, Tom Clarkson, did try changing the subject a number of times. This will be Fred's last appearance in an FIA press conference this year, meaning Tom was trying to coax answers out of him about things such as how his first season at Ferrari has been and what he thought of Las Vegas as an event. And Fred wasn't having any of it. He was really, really angry, really upset. Toto Wolff, his Mercedes peer and longtime friend, tried placating him at one point, but Fred was having none of it. He was really, really upset, saying it had been a very expensive incident for Ferrari and that he would be talking to people about who would be picking up the bill. As Ferrari set about fixing Sainz's car and trying to get it ready for FP2, something that Vasseur thought at one stage simply wasn't possible, the FIA also set about getting the track ready for a restart. Initially, the green light time was set for 2am, two hours after the session had been due to start at midnight. That then became 2.15am, which then became 2.30am. The session would run for 90 minutes in the end and finish at 4 in the morning. Under the original schedule, the roads were meant to be reopening and fully reopened by 4am, but instead the cars were only just finishing their laps and that had been pushed back. Las Vegas has been such a logistical headache for F1 to get ready, to get the track sorted, to get the road closures agreed to, and there was always a really tight window to make it happen, so this only set things back further and will surely have contributed to some added disruption for the people of Las Vegas. Anyway, the second practice session, once it did get going, thankfully went by without any incidents or issues. There were a few lockups here and there as drivers struggled in the really cold conditions, a very green circuit that had been subject to absolutely no running whatsoever of any meaning in FP1, only eight minutes, remember. In the end, it was a Ferrari 1-2, believe it or not, Charles Leclerc setting the fastest time by half a second ahead of Sainz, who managed to get out in the session and actually have a really, really clean running, a very good way for him to bounce back. It was a really great effort by Ferrari to get Sainz's car fixed up in time. Admittedly, the delayed start to FP2 did help that, but still a monumental effort and a pretty quick performance as well. But there was still going to be another twist in Carlos Sainz's day. He ended up getting a very harsh penalty. The damage caused to his power unit by the hit meant Ferrari had to take a third energy store of the season on his power unit, and that breaches the season limit of two. The FIA was asked by Ferrari if it could apply special measures for taking the third energy store, given that it wasn't its fault and it was a foreign object, to quote the stewards document, that had caused such damage. But the FIA said it could not apply any special measures, there was no force majeure here, and it had to enforce the rules in exactly the same way as normal. It means Science would drop 10 places on the starting grid for Saturday's race, 
and it's a pretty harsh one i must say daniel ricardo i was talking to him in the media pen and yeah he was like really like that's happened that penalty and said it was really unfair which you do kind of have to agree with ultimately rules are rules but in a situation like this common sense surely has to prevail so it wasn't the best look and a real setback for science and his hopes of maybe fighting for another podium or perhaps a second win of the season Once FP2 did get underway, it was actually quite bleak because there were no fans left in the grandstands. Now, that's not because everyone had got bored of waiting around and decided to go home. No, no, not at all. In fact, the track took action to remove fans from the areas, saying that there were some logistical and safety matters that meant they had to be outside of the circuit. Now, this is thought to relate to union workers who ultimately have certain restrictions on the hours they can work. And of course, they are very important to ensuring the safe running of the event. But the fans were only told they had to leave the fan areas a couple of minutes before the rule was enforced at 1.30am. Now, FP2 started at 2.30am, meaning that by the time that the session got going, there were no fans left in the grandstands and actually it was dark across many of the seating areas and even in Paddock Club. It was a really rough ride for the fans today, being given such short notice on having to get out. Police were forcing fans to leave and there were even some issues with some photographers who were told by security staff wrongly that they had to get out of certain areas. It left fans traipsing along the strip and going along other parts of the circuit, getting weird vantage points such as taking an escalator that would take them up and take them back down again, all with the view of an F1 car. It's a real sour taste for a Grand Prix that really hasn't done a lot to enamour itself to fans. I've always been of the view that ultimately we do need a balance on the calendar. We need events like Las Vegas that are commercially very successful, that are able to bring in the kind of big sponsorship, the big sort of interest that makes F1 the global sport it is that really helps feed that and fuel that. But there is also a need to really take action when it matters and do the right thing. We know the tickets in Las Vegas were extremely expensive, really, really were. I said on yesterday's podcast, I went to a hospitality area yesterday where it's $50,000 for the weekend. Obviously, that's not the typical fan whatsoever, but you do get an impression of just how expensive it is to come to a Grand Prix, particularly Vegas. So to then see the grandstands in the dark felt actually quite hollow, and it was a real shame, a real kick in the teeth, I think, for the fans who have spent a lot to come here. The track did include things such as food and beverage, non-alcoholic drinks that is, within the ticket price, but that's not going to be enough to make up for this. And there was a statement that was put out by the organisers shortly after FP2 had finished. But it was again a really hollow statement. There was no apology, there was no information on possible refunds, even though most of the fans only got to see 8 minutes of on-track action today. Again, when are they going to take action? When are they going to do something to properly look after the people who've spent their hard-earned money to be here in Las Vegas for what was promised to be such a spectacular Grand Prix? So it all does buy into who is this race really for? Is this going to be a good thing for the sport? Is it going to help grow things? Or is it going to be a commercial white elephant? Is it going to be the kind of thing that fans simply can't tolerate, can't deal with? F1 is expecting pretty big crowd figures this weekend, over 100,000 fans per day. But you've got to wonder... A day like this, does it put them off? Does it make them think, do I really want to go to Vegas? Do I really want to deal with maybe not seeing the cars? A very rare and I think unique situation, yes, but it didn't do much to suggest that Vegas is doing much for the real F1 fan out there. Now, I mentioned that press conference earlier that Fred Vasseur spoke in, but it does actually buy into the whole discussion around who is this race really for and what is it doing? The message from all of the team principals in there, Vasseur, Toto Wolff, James Vowles of Williams and McLaren's Zach Brown, 
all talked about the importance of Las Vegas as a spectacle and the achievement that had been pulled off by getting this race up in the air at all, getting us racing on the strip. Appreciating that, I did ask them whether this was damaging or embarrassing to F1. The fact that we'd spent so much money as a sport only to get eight minutes of running before there was an issue. And all of them kind of deflected it. All of them said, look, they're separate things, the sport versus the entertainment versus the event and everything that goes into it. So one can work very well without impacting on the other and vice versa. Toto Wolf even went as far as saying it wouldn't be talked about tomorrow morning. And there was quite a terse moment when a journalist interjected to tell Wolf it was, I quote, absolute rubbish to be brushing it off in the fashion that he was. Wolf snapped back, saying we cannot criticise Liberty for what it has done getting Vegas on the calendar and for growing F1 as a sport. Now, I appreciate that, and I do think Liberty has done an amazing job to take F1 to new realms and, yes, to get us racing in Las Vegas. But that doesn't mean it can be given a free pass for incidents, for errors, for problems that arise. And there's no getting away from the fact that today was not good for Formula One. Ultimately, the buck normally stops with the promoter for any mistakes. And in this case, it's Liberty Media. Remember, this is the first race F1 itself is funding and promoting. It's really not been a great start to the way they handle things and not been an encouraging sign that this new model is something that could be sustainable moving forward for other races, perhaps. And it was maybe a bit disappointing there wasn't that understanding from the other team principals to maybe say, hey, look, this has not been a great day for F1. It all came back to the commercial boost, the sponsors, this helps, blah, blah, blah. Ultimately, again, is it about racing? Is it about other stuff? I think it's a very fine line and I think this has kind of showed where many of the flags are nailed to which mast. And also, Total Wolf's point that it wouldn't be talked about in the morning has proven wrong because it is 6.30am here in uh, in Las Vegas when I'm recording this because of that long delay, because of all of the post-session stuff as well. Yeah, it kind of shows that he was wrong about that. In fact, I think this morning on uh, CBS in the United States, I've actually got a TV interview going out. Again, talking about exactly what happened. That was actually filmed twice in the parking lot of a strip club because, hey, that's Las Vegas, I guess. For clarity, I did not go in the strip club. We just filmed outside because of restrictions at the circuit. Now, let's finish on a more light-hearted and lovable note, and that is a wedding that took place today. I'm sure you will have seen on social media all of the race to the altar gump that is around the uh, Las Vegas paddock. They've got a chapel inside the paddock with lots of red roses. It's got the sign saying lights out and together we go. Yes, really. Because the idea of a Vegas shotgun wedding, that is something that I guess is part of the city's identity. I always think of that scene in Friends when Phoebe says, oh, I got married in Vegas loads of times. And everyone's like, yeah, that applies everywhere, not just Vegas. And she's like, oh, no. Anyway, one person who was getting married today in Vegas was the 1997 world champion Jacques Villeneuve, of all people. Now, Jacques didn't actually know he was getting married until, well, a few hours before the ceremony. It was sprung on him by his fiance, and I must say, they really did put on a really good show. They went to a lot of effort. His fiance, now wife, looks absolutely beautiful in her dress. Jack sharpened up well. He had Jock Clear, his old engineer from his racing days, who, of course, is now at Ferrari, serving as his best man. And it was really lovely to see, I think, just a nice story in the paddock today. I mean, all of this sort of drama and concerns. Yeah, it was something pretty cool. So I think. Yeah, a bit of good news, something quite nice and lighthearted, some champagne and some cake flowing around the paddock. 
just a nice good story and a sign of the silliness i think and some of the vegas spirit that we have to lean into this weekend yes it's a bit cheesy in places maybe a bit over the top but i think we as a paddock are best off embracing it and not fighting it so congratulations to jack and his beautiful new bride i really do wish you a lifetime of happiness together Anyway, that is it for today's podcast. Thank you very much for listening. And I will be back on Friday for qualifying for the Las Vegas Grand Prix. Let us see if we have any repeats of today's issues. And importantly, who is going to be the man on pole position for Saturday's Grand Prix? Thanks very much to Luke, who's in Las Vegas all this weekend, bringing us the latest from the paddock. Make sure you don't miss an update from the Las Vegas Grand Prix by subscribing to Pit Pass F1 wherever you get your favourite podcasts. And you can visit us at pitpassmotorsports.com. While you're there, check out the Pit Pass Motorsports blog, powered by Podium Life, featuring racing articles and motorsport industry news. You can also keep up to date with the goings-on between episodes by following Luke on social media. Just check the links in the show description. My name's Michael Laminato. Pit Pass F1 is an evergreen podcast. Stay ahead of the pack with the latest racing news and interviews from the Hammerdown Racing Report, your source for regional racing action as well as the national scene. Every week, we recap racing action from all around Northwest Ohio and Southeast Michigan and cover national racing series from the world of outlaws to NASCAR. Plus, get all the latest racing news. Join hosts Scott Hammer and Ron Miller, along with different featured guests each week. From dirt to asphalt, we have you covered. The Hammerdown Racing Report, available weekly on your favorite podcasting platform.